Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. Be nice. Could it possibly be that simple? Given everything happening in the world right now, all of the hatred, all of the cynicism, all of the distrust around the globe in every corner of society, left and right. Is it possible that the fastest path to success in any field is simply to be nice? In Hollywood, it seems like this is as far from the truth as humanly possible. We all know that the nice guy finishes last. It's those that have the guts to take what's theirs and step all over people along the way that ultimately climb to the top. If you're gonna succeed in a world full of crabs in a bucket, you are on your own, right? Well, in my interview today with multiple Emmy-winning editor, Jesse Averna, Ace, by the way, this interview was recorded shortly before the murder of George Floyd and all of the ensuing protests and riots. So as usual, as has been the case for the last two months, within days of recording an interview, it has already become obsolete. That having been said, Jesse and I in this interview talk about the importance of treating every human being equally and providing value to others first as an alternate way to climb to the top, while by the way, also bringing others along with you. Jesse and I believe that a rising tide can lift all boats and Hollywood does not have to be a zero sum game whereby helping others automatically means that you've created more competition for yourself, therefore why help? Jesse and I also believe deep within our hearts that everyone's voice needs to be heard equally and that the best idea in the room is the one that should win, no matter if it comes from the CEO or the janitor. In today's interview, you can learn from Jesse how you too can cultivate compassion, empathy, and use positivity as the guiding force that will lead you to your success. And by the way, if you stick around, you might also learn at least 50 mind-blowing amazing tips if you're interested in working in animation post-production, which by the way, is frankly the only place where people in Hollywood are still working right now. All right, without further ado, 
my conversation with multiple Emmy award-winning editor and mentor, Jesse Averna. I have Mr. Jesse Averna on the other end of my Zoom call. I am so super excited to have you here. For people that may or may not know, I've been trying to get you on my podcast before I had a podcast. <laughs> Every six months, it's on my to-do list. Let's reach out to Jesse and see yeah. if he's available to do a podcast. And there's there's always at least four or five different reasons that we're not able to make it work. We have finally been able to make it work. So, Jesse, it is a pleasure to finally have you here. Thanks, man. Happy to be here. Uh, so you, sir, you are a member of the American Cinema Editors. You are a five-time Emmy Award-winning editor. You've done features. You've done live action. You've done animation. You are the creator of the Post Chat community on Twitter and Facebook. You teach NLEs. Like, there's so many things going on in your life. How in the world do you even have time to be on a Zoom call with me today? <laughs> well, it's it's uh, the Friday before a holiday weekend during a pandemic. So it's... <laughs> It's perfect timing. Oh, pandemic. It's funny you should mention that. I, I've heard <laughs> something about that. Uh, we, we may or may not bring that up in our conversation today. Nice. Uh, if you don't already know, not only am I here with Jesse Averna, editor extraordinaire, I am also here with my optimizer coaching and mentorship community. So everybody wave, say hi from all of your little Zoom squares. So it's kind of like the Hollywood squares, but on steroids, because there's a lot more than nine of them. Um, and I may uh, may call out my squares in my room here at some point to, to ask some questions and nice. to just chit-chat about everything that's going on in the world. Cool. But I have questions a, for you, too. Oh, do you have questions for me? I do. Well, then yeah. we're going to have to schedule another show because I oh. don't answer questions. <laughs> um, I, that's definitely not my thing. No? No, definitely not. Um, so there's a couple of reasons that I had you come on the show with me today. You and I could talk about 150 different subjects, and I'm pretty sure that offline, whether it's via social media, email, or various lunches, we've done and talked about all of those subjects. Right, right. There's two things specifically that I want to talk about today that I think are going to be very, very helpful to people that are listening. Yeah. The first of which is just brainstorming and talking about this idea of whether or not animation is essentially going to become the future of entertainment and specifically post-production, at least in the near future, yeah. because it's really the one machine that for the most part can still work relatively seamlessly. It's bumpy, but at yeah. least you, yeah. you can create your own footage. People right. that are in live action clearly can't do that. But then the other thing we're going to talk about, and we're going to go back and forth between these simultaneously, is you and I are going to debunk the myth that nice guys always finish last. <laughs> because I feel like you've done okay with your career so far. Still a lot of things you want to accomplish, but given right. where you are so far, you've done okay. And I Thank can you. confidently say you are by far the nicest human being in this industry. Oh, God. And you, you project that out into the world every single day. And anybody else that's on the community call that knows Jesse, either via social media, Facebook, or otherwise, raise your hand if you agree with me. Nicest human being in this entire industry. It's not Thank just me. So where I want to start with you, for those that may not be as aware as others about what it is that you do and how you got where you are, we're just going to start with the basics. Tell me a little bit more about what you do and how you got where you are. What's your origin story? I'm an editor. I'm currently in feature animation. Uh, origin story, I'm one of those kids. I'm an 80s kid. I think we actually graduated the same year, Zach. What year? 98. <sighs> I can't believe you just said that publicly. <laughs> yes, we graduated the same year. And thank you for pointing that out. I appreciate that. So, yeah, I was, I mean, I always loved shooting different short uh, videos with my friends on the weekend. That, that was the, the fun thing that we did. And then I would take it back and edit it. 
on my own every weekend. So editing had been a part of my ability to storytell or to create or to do artistry since as far back as, you know, middle school. And then professionally, I kept getting different editing jobs, not necessarily what I wanted to do, but like wedding videography and then doing videos for churches and you name it, kind of going through the ringer of anything that would hire me doing post-production. And I kept, during that time, I kept dropping out of school because I was getting full-time work. So I kept ping-ponging between trying to finish my degree and moving from job to job. And then finally, um, my wife and I moved to New York City. I landed my first job in the industry, which I found on Craigslist. And it was a PA job for a documentary on The Who. Um, And so it was logging footage and uh, FileMaker Pro and starting to learn what Avid was. It was my first experience ever touching Avid. Before that, everything I did was Premiere and then eventually Final Cut. But, um, But yeah, it started there. And then really, the connections I made from that job made me ping pong from job to job to job. The relationships I made with different producers and and other PAs I worked with, it kind of just became this um, network, this spider web of connections where we all wanted to help each other and support each other. Not just that job, but each job introduced more friendships and more network, more opportunities. I, I followed that trail down to where I am now. There, there's a big gap in between there. We, we, <laughs> we, have, we have a little more than I might want to talk about before we get to end. We're here now. So yeah. I was a PA, went on Craigslist, did some PA stuff, yeah. met some people, and I'm here now. And then, yeah, I have yeah. a little bit more I want to talk about in yeah. there. All right. um, there. There's a certain show by a certain name that people may or may not recognize uh, where you found a lot of fame and won a lot of awards. So talk to me a little bit about that period. And after you got done with that period, what in God's name made you think, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to come to LA. So let's talk about that period of your life a little bit. I had worked for uh, a Disney, I think it was called Disney Preschool at the, at the time, a show called Johnny and the Sprites, which was an amazing uh, puppet in person show. And um, the puppeteers who were part of that show and a lot of the behind the scenes crew also worked on Sesame Street. And so I worked on Johnny and the Sprites and then I moved away from that and worked in documentary for a little while, even news for a little while, and then um, got my feet wet in feature assistant editing, got into the union. And then I got a call from some of those connections I made on Johnny and the Sprites to have a chance with Sesame Street. And I was on Sesame Street for a little over five years, which was amazing. Dream job, just unbelievable. After that, we, I had an opportunity to move from New York City to LA to jump into animation, which is something else that I've always had a passion for uh, with Disney. And yeah, and then I took it. So let's talk about that moment because I'm a little, uh, little bit more interested in diving into that a little bit deeper. Yeah. You were not just working at Sesame Street. You were dominating Sesame <laughs> Street, winning multiple awards. Like anybody that knew anybody in the post-production world, as soon as you say Sesame Street, you just say Jesse Averna. Like <laughs> the, the two things were synonymous. I didn't even know who you were for years personally. Yeah. But I just knew, oh yeah, Jesse, he's the guy that's just killing it over at Sesame Street. Like, <laughs> and I definitely didn't do it alone. Oh, I'm, you know, I, I don't. A mentor, John Tierney, uh, he passed away a couple years ago, but he was a very special relationship, um, very uh, like a professional, um, but 
but very fatherly. Like I learned so much from that man. And a lot of what I was able to do was because I uh, had someone that trusted me like him. But I owe a lot to that guy. Yeah. Well, that, and that's something we're going to talk more about is the idea of mentorship and networking and being nice to people. We're definitely, definitely going to talk a lot more about that. Yeah. What I'm curious about is, did you know that animation was the place you wanted to be very, very young? Or was it a matter of, I just want to work on these certain types of projects. And then the animation idea came along. You have an opportunity and you thought, huh, that sounds interesting. So well, where, where were you with that decision? Um, it, it wasn't necessarily the medium of animation that I had always been drawn to. I've always loved animation and definitely had a pull towards it, but it wasn't that one burning, I need to do that kind of career decision. It was more, there's certain places and companies and projects that I've always respected and loved and cared about and felt like they were part of the legacy of entertainment, of films and it was something that I wanted to be a part of because of that. Are there specific legacies that perhaps, I don't know, the, the Disney Corporation may or may not own that may or may not be a part of your virtual background right now? Yeah. You've always that thought, I, want to I, do? I would love to be a part yes. of that. Yes, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so Star just, Wars? Oh, so that's what it is. I thought yeah. I recognized those figures. <laughs> I knew anything, they familiar. Anything Lord of the Rings, too? Those two would get me. I keep hearing rumors of Sandman. Mm. happening oh, definitely so, pro properties that shaped me and shaped my love for creatures and practical effects and emotional storytelling but done in a fanciful way so and I, th I think that's part of on it not to interrupt you but no, that's go ahead. kind of part of the neat opportunity i think that's actually happening with animation right now the people who make animation obviously take it super personal and serious and care about it uh to the nth degree the same way people who make television do, but there was a period of time where television was considered not as valuable or not as important or not as whatever as feature films. And then finally, I feel like audiences turned a corner and started to see, oh, okay, wait a minute. There's, we, we should take this medium more serious with things like The Sopranos. And, and I think uh, animation's one of those. There's some incredible, unbelievable storytelling happening that can only be told via the medium of animation. People can still be prone to, well, a cartoon's for kids, or that doesn't, I know I'm not going to like it just on the fact that it's not real people, they're animated. I feel like this moment in time with the pandemic might open that opportunity for people to give it more of a chance and to take down that barrier. I mean, sci-fi was the same way thinking that sci-fi could never emotionally connect with you. And then we had, you know, Battlestar Galactica. I, I don't know. It's exciting. That's what I would call the perfect segue. <laughs> because this is, this is really what we're here to talk about today. Nice. Yeah. Um, we, we've brought your journey to the point where you worked in New York. You were on Sesame Street for five years. You would yeah. wake up in the morning. Somebody would hand you another Emmy Award. And then you decided, I have an opportunity to move out to Los Angeles and work for Disney Animation, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that Disney and working on an animated film is not like the end-all be-all, but it's part of creating this larger fantastical world yes. that can tell amazing stories yeah. that only yeah. either animation or heavy visual effects can do with something right. like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what is it that you were doing at Disney specifically? And the reason that I want to talk about this is so people better understand the process, because there are a lot of people, first of all, just the the general public has no idea how animation is actually put together. But I find most people that are even in the industry in live action don't really understand it. And I've been getting a lot of questions of people saying, well, if animation is really where things are going, what skills do I even need to learn? Like, mm-hmm. what do you do in animation? Yeah. And if I wanted to get there, how do I prioritize those skills? So talk yeah. to me yeah. specifically about what you did on a day-to-day basis at Disney. Well, I, I was at Disney television animation and then uh, Disney feature animation. And those processes are a little bit different because one utilizes a house offsite for the actual animation that happens. And the other one does it in-house, which is Disney animation. Everything is done there. Um, but really. The truth is, editorially, between live action and animation, it's all storytelling. Are we servicing the story? Are we helping to tell this joke the proper way? Are we um, delaying a reveal? Or, uh, you you know, all those methods that we as the editors get to do, essentially being that first audience, uh, viewing footage or viewing ideas and responding to it emotionally, and then trying to uh, encapsulate that as the scene moves on. But for animation, I've heard someone explain it. I think there's actually a good video online. With live action, you shoot and then you edit. But with animation, you edit and you edit and you edit and then you finally shoot. So the way that uh, animation editing works is that the first uh, iterations of a scene and then you know larger act and then finally the film are all done in boards. So drawings that are not frame for frame, but, you know, um, more sporadic in order to convey the action and the emotion and the blocking. Still a lot of work that goes into them from the story artist. The story, once we have those boards, we'll record uh, dialogue or scratch dialogue and add sound effects, and we'll put that scene up on its feet in boards and see if it's working. And then tear it apart, build it up again, tear it apart, build it up again until we're telling that moment and then eventually that scene and that act the best way possible. And then finally, when a scene graduates out of boards, it either moves into, um, if it's 2D animation, it it will move on to get animated or in 3D animation, it will move on to something uh, that's a more crude uh, animation, like a previs or a layout, where then they figure out blocking. Where should the cameras be? What what does the actual 3D space look like? How do characters actually move? Because in boards, you can jump position with characters, but now in 3D, they actually have to walk to a certain point, those kind of continuity things. And then finally, when a scene graduates out of uh, layout or previs, then it'll move into animation, the actual process of animating. So I think one of the most interesting things that people realize about the animation process when they understand how it works from a post-production perspective, and like you alluded to already, it's not even really post-production. Your pre-production, production, and post-production all rolled right. up in one big giant oh, yeah. ball, and you're kind of managing all of them. Yes. But I think as an editor, for somebody that's worked in live action my entire career, we always say that we do the best with the footage that we are given. So I don't have complete and total freedom as an editor. 
I can improve and enhance and I can restructure and I can do composite visual effects and replace somebody's eyes or mouth or head or whatever it is. But there's only so much that I can do as an editor in animation. Talk about the level of freedom that you have with both story, animation, characters, like the whole thing. That was something, honestly, that was a hard transition for me was realizing that we could do anything. I really enjoy in live action the constraints of trying to make the very best out of what you have. Salvaging is the, the wrong word, but you know, taking all of the magic and the gold from every little piece that you have to form something new and different or unexpected. And with animation, yeah, it's, it's more gratifying, I should say, because you're helping to craft not only the scene, but also the performance of the characters. Obviously, the, the actors and the talent who are recording, the board artists, the directors, the producers, they're all shaping that as well. But an editor, you're figuring out the timing of literally every moment, how a joke will land, how someone will, will turn and react, or so on. So really, an animation editor, uh, all the way through the pipeline, is the right hand to different departments. We're the right hand to the story artists, the board artists who are working, which are absolute magicians because the, they're having to not only draw so much work and be willing to throw it out and draw it again and over and over, but they, they're drawing, they're figuring out staging, they're figuring out you know, the world around them, what props are there sometimes, as well as the characters and how to emote and to best tell that story. So we're, I really feel a responsibility to them to support them with sound effects and with my timing and with um, my critical ability to step back and say, it feels like this should come before that, or what if we step back here, or here's another option, and we thought of this. And then that kind of mentality goes all the way through to the end. Like I'm, My goal is to, same thing with live action, but to facilitate the best story possible, and not my story, but what the director has envisioned and what the writer has envisioned. And I take a lot of joy in throwing out the bad ideas, uh, you know, building what was intended, but then also like, but what if we, and then shaping other ideas that might then create yet another, a third idea that improves on anything that we had thought of. So it, it really is this cooking. It's like, I like, I like the stew you guys have, but what if we added a little bit of, you know, this and that? It's, it's super gratifying. It's, it's wonderfully rewarding. Which to me sounds like a combination of both everything that you can do in post, but you can also do in a writer's room. Yes. If you have a writer's room and a bunch of people throwing ideas against the wall to see what sticks and what doesn't. Right. Sounds like you have a lot more opportunity to do that in animation than you would in live action. Because once it's shot, you can't say, oh, what if this character says something different? Okay, well, it's going to have to be on the back of their head. We don't want that. Right. Right. You don't have to worry about that. No, that's exactly right. We can we can help craft jokes and then retell a different joke if it didn't land or yeah shape change one word from them yeah we we get to affect all of that and really i mean i'm talking about my personal experience i don't know if all productions work this way but um but yeah the editor is there for all of it and helping to shape and craft with them man sounds like a lot of work sounds like (laughs) this probably takes a while Talk, talk to talk to me yeah. a little bit more about how long you really have to be on a project in animation because this is the biggest aha moment that a lot of live action people don't really yeah. understand. I mean, I've the typical number I've heard is anywhere from three to five years for a feature, and for television, obviously, it's a more accelerated schedule because you're 
you're pumping out a lot more content as you're as you're moving. But it's still it's a it's a long time. It's longer than any live action experience experience I've had. Being on a show for three months, four months. This is for for TV. You're there for at least a year, and then feature considerably longer. Given present circumstances, I would imagine anybody that's listening or watching right now is thinking, I would kill to have that yeah. kind of job security. And I can't imagine a downside, but maybe it's not all upside. So talk to me about both the upsides and the downsides of animation, just from a lifestyle and a job perspective for how long they actually last. Well, the upside, like you said, yeah, there's job security. I feel like you really get to live with those characters. You're, you're saturated in it you understand the story and the goal of the story more than you ever possibly could. And it becomes super personal. I think one of the downsides, I, um, and this is true for all editing, is you really have to learn the ability to care incredibly deeply about the work you're doing, the scene you're doing, the moment you're doing. You care about it more than anything because it's your responsibility to care at least as much as Everyone else is caring <laughs> to take that torch. Okay, the director cares about this. The writer cares about this. I need to care as deeply as I can to make this work. And then the other side of that coin, be willing to completely just eviscerate it and throw it out without any ego attached, knowing that that's just process. It's, not, it's nothing personal. It's not just your work that's being shaped and molded. It's everyone's. And it's for the greater good of making the story better. But um, it does take a little bit of, practice, at least for me, to be able to give it my all and then to completely let go of it and say, yeah, let's make it better. You're totally right. We tried that idea. It didn't work. Does that so, help answer? It, no, that, that absolutely helps answer it. So it sounds like not only do you have the opportunity to be an avid, make cuts, move things around like you would as a live action editor, you also have the opportunity to feel like you're in the writer's room, but it also sounds like you get to be in a way like a de facto director. I would say more that I feel responsibility toward the director. So, I mean, there's, with any editing, there's directorial choices that you're making. Like, should I be close for this? You know, feeling with your gut, like this is something personal she's saying, I really feel like we should be tight. Or now they're mentioning whatever, something in the environment, we should go wide, those kind of decisions. But I think director hat wise, really it's always in service of the director. It's, it's trying to, know them and understand them and their sensibilities and the way that they enjoy uh, jokes. Some people like things paced slowly. Some people like them faster because of the storyteller that they are. And really kind of owning that and putting that hat on to, to be a surrogate of them to best tell that story. But then also, yeah, including your own storytelling abilities and taste on top of that. Live action or animation, I've always approached things that way. An edit of here's what you here's what you did here's what 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 you had planned for and this is the best I could possibly do with it and then in addition to that I have a couple options I want to show you that just some ideas I was thinking but always respecting their opinion and their idea first and foremost not injecting myself in a way that says like I I saw what you were doing but I didn't I didn't try it because I think this is better like that's I never crossed that line because that's not my job. Sure. And that, that part, I definitely understand. I can't yeah. even imagine a world where you have ever been disrespectful to anybody ever. <laughs> um, but the reason I say that as a director is that yeah. if I'm watching footage, live action, and yeah. I look at a scene and I'm like, Ugh, 
why didn't they just get me the two shot? Mm-hmm. You can step in and, and just order a two shot. Yep. So yes. you know what? I don't think the scene is working. Can you guys just give me a mock-up of this? Just give me this yep. one shot, or maybe I need a, a close-up of this character and I don't have it yet. So you're not yep. making the final determination, but you do kind of get to step in the de facto director's chair to make decisions other live action editors never get to make. Right. That's fair. I think so. And also having the conversation with the different teams too, even things in the environment, like, you know, we're having a hard time getting them from here to there. What if the door was just closer? (laughs) (laughs) You can do that. Yeah. And, and really the magic of that is that every decision isn't haphazard, which of course it's not in live action either, but literally everything is servicing story. What's the best way to tell this from props to environment to uh, lighting, it, it's all with that singular focus. And again, I know live action is the same way, but you're right. As the editor, you get to not just notice how to shape what you have to fit that, but also thinking about other things that you can then affect. Like, is, this, is that table over there distracting or you can make those calls? Right. So I, to me, it seems like the difference between, oh, God, I wish I had that versus, hey, can you guys make one of these for me so I can take a look and see if this works? Right. right. For me, all day long, oh, I wish I had this. Oh, I wish they had gotten that. Well, yeah. I'm going to do the best with what I'm given. Right. And you have right. the opportunity to build something. And again, not make the choices ultimately, yeah. but at least present options that I could never present yes. during live action. And I do have to say the the counter to that is I've had some really good growing moments storytelling wise to get pushback on those moments of why decisions were made. No, no, we really need whatever. We need that thing there because et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just the, the care and the thought and the detail that went into those decisions and not being privy to that, being removed and then learning about why they made those decisions. It's almost like a masterclass of, of mise-en-scene. <laughs> Going back to this idea of caring and yeah. how long it takes to put something like this together, knowing that it's years. Even in TV, it's a minimum of a year. It right. features three, four, even five years. Right. right. From a job perspective, the security sounds fantastic. Yeah. But from a creative perspective, you're four and a half years into a film. How do you make any objective decisions whatsoever? <laughs> like you, you're um, hearing these voices in your head all day, every day for, I'm guessing for four years, you heard, I'm going to wreck it. Right. So how, how four years in are can you still make these objective decisions? I get, I lose my objectivity in like six weeks. I can't yeah. imagine doing something that long and still feeling like I can make objective creative decisions. I think definitely fresh eyes is important. And the teams that I've worked with, they are proactive to get those, you know, either people inside the studio or whatever solutions they find, but, but ways to have someone who hasn't been saturated to give an opinion. And then this is true with live action too. There is a magic that happens when you finally step out of the nitty gritty of moments and scenes and step back to watching the entirety seeing the, the flow and the pacing. And then I think that helps with objectivity too. Like my character at the beginning of this movie versus the end of this movie, is this tracking? Is this working? Is this making sense? But yeah, I think it's a constant um, headspace of stepping back and trying to, to look objectively as if, okay, now does this, does this make sense if I had never seen this before? Constantly asking that question. 
my sincerest apologies for the interruption. But if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Got it. Okay. So what I want to do now is I want to dive a little bit deeper into the specifics, into the weeds. I want to talk about the skills. The reason being that number one, I have three people on this coaching program alone, all of whom are on this call, are actively pursuing the world of animation. But another nice. question that I've gotten repeatedly yeah. is, again, like we alluded to at the beginning of this call, where is the industry going? And if it's going towards animation and I'm a live action person and I'm waiting for cameras to roll either until there's a vaccine right. or until Monday, according to the governor, or until August, right. according to the, the mayor, like yeah. – the the crazy thing about all of these calls is I do them live on Friday. I release them as a podcast the following Friday, and they're already obsolete. Everything <laughs> I've said is wrong in seven days. So everything you and I talk about is going to be proven wrong, and I know they are because people reach out and tell me how wrong I am. Yeah. Either via, well, you said this or that, and you said there wouldn't be cameras until a vaccine, and 25 comments about why that's not true. It's like, guys, this is such a rapidly moving target. I'm right. just doing my best here. Right. So I don't want to talk about where we think it's going specifically yet from a political perspective. Yeah. I just want to better understand if I make the decision that I want to move towards animation, yeah. what are the things I don't know I don't know? Um, do you mean hard skills or soft skills? Or? I think it's going to be a combination of both, but let's start with the really basic hard skills. Like what, what are some of the things you realize, oh my God, I, I have to know the basics of Maya or this or that. Like if I'm coming from live action and I live in Avid or Premiere, yeah. are there things that I just wouldn't know that I have to start working on? I think the first surprise will be footage. The fact that footage is a series of stills, uh, of, of boards, and that the first part of it is getting that footage on its feet. So pacing out boards to, to dialogue. 
or sometimes if we, you don't have dialogue yet, pacing them out and adding sound effects, creating some kind of um, time for these boards to become shots. It still always goes back to the language of live action of how framing should be, how long we should be on something. Animation still very much lives in the medium that we're in. So I guess, yeah, that was the first surprise for me is, is not just pulling up your dailies and looking at everything you have, watching it, finding what you like, tagging it, and then start you know, placing it on a timeline, cut that together. Instead, you're, you're shaping it from scratch. You're, you're looking at uh, a series of pictures that some artist has painstakingly done under the direction of the writer and the director, and they've iterated several times before you've gotten it. And then you figure out, okay, now timing-wise, how will this be a shot? How will this be a moment? How will this be a scene from scratch? And so choosing the performance, the words that they say to maybe half of this sentence, another half of that one, or just taking the T from that word and putting it on that word and shaping exactly what's said to the timing of when and how that's said. And then sometimes even choosing, switching shots to choose when and where that camera should be, all just in boards. So from a, just the hardest of the hard skills perspective, everything yeah. that you're talking about is uh, more the creative process, storytelling. Yeah. Do you still pretty much live in Avid or did you have yes. to learn new tools? I'm... 90% Avid. I, I do some After Effects. I love, absolutely love After Effects, always have. I have Sesame to thank for that because I spent a lot of my time in After Effects there as well. But um, again, it's, it, it's all servicing stories. So if a moment could be helped or better told because of motion, then, then we'll, I'll graduate something into After Effects to help show that. But, but yeah, it's mainly you're living in Avid or Premiere in order to tell that story. Yeah. Okay. So then it wasn't like you had to take months and months of training in Maya to do your own basic 3D no. mock-ups. And so no, it's, it's no, mostly no. reaching out to teams that are already supporting that, you providing yes. the direction or the basic ideas or collaborating with others, but you're right. still living and breathing mostly in Avid yes. using the same tools that I as a live action editor. Yes. Would. Yeah. So, and the truth is it's because those people, again, in my personal experience, but they specialize in that. So for me to even dip my toe into faking that I could somehow do a better job than them or a clearer job would be just incredibly naive. So what, what they're leaning on me on is specifically, yeah, the, the editing portion of it. So I know it's that I don't need an understanding of how they get to where they are, but more the creative side is the way we're executing the best way possible. Got it. Because one of the questions that I've gotten uh, recently and also in the past is, is it easy to make the transition from live action to animation? And if I were looking at it from my own perspective, it sounds like technically I could sit in your chair this afternoon and I have enough technical skills to be able to do it. But yeah. I would probably be overwhelmed by how different the storytelling processes and the workflow is. Yeah. But I have the technical skills to just go do it today. Yes. Yep. I agree. Got it. I think, and I think honestly, that's true across the board. I think that there's a misnomer. Um, I see job postings for a comedy editor or a promo editor. And I understand we want people who specialize and understand those crafts and understand how to tell a longer narrative documentary. Those are all incredibly valuable because those are creative muscles that, that you're building in order to tell that type of medium, whether it's a trailer, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of the hard skill, the, could you sit at their computer and put something together? We're all editors. We're all trying to figure out when and where we should be. And is it making the best impact 
the clearest, funnest, whatever, funniest way. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, unfortunately, I left my pigeonholing soapbox uh, in the other room and I don't have time to go grab it right <laughs> now because I could stand on this one for an hour and there are people that have listened to me stand on the, the pigeonholing yeah. soapbox. Yeah. And I'm not going to do that for now, but I, I do at least appreciate the fact that you're alluding to just because you worked in live action doesn't mean you can't do animation. Right. Um, and vice versa. Yeah, and vice versa. Absolutely. So for anybody that's thinking, well, I could never do animation or more importantly, nobody would ever hire me because I haven't done it. What I'm trying to dissect are the abilities that you have if you don't have the experience. We talk about this on our calls all the time. Yeah. Are people looking for ability, experience or both? And if you don't have the experience, then the story you have to tell to a prospective employer is I have the abilities that you're looking for, even if I don't have the experience. And there's a lot of translatable abilities. Yes. And I, I think in general, uh, not to keep zooming back out, but in general, when you're trying to get a job, it's a trust. It's a question of trust. Like, can we, you as an editor are not just a button pusher. You're not just facilitating something. You're not just putting whatever, a puzzle together. You are one of the creative voices. And so can we leave you in a room and trust you to be able to do that without there being issues or delay or whatever else. So that's really what I think they're asking. And tech skills are an easy thing to, to poke at. You know what I mean? It's, it's a first, it's like a first defensive level of, can we trust you? And I think that the other thing to go into, and again, going to do my best to not grab the soapbox, but I can, I can already feel one hand on it. I'm like, (laughs) I got to stop. But the one other thing I want to say about this, and then I want to loop back to uh, another part of the conversation I want to finish. But when it comes to pigeonholing, I think it's so important for people to understand, once again, they have to highlight their abilities, but they also have to step into the perspective of the person that would be hiring them. That person wants to keep their job too. And they're afraid to hire somebody that doesn't have the experience because if things go wrong, it makes them look bad. Right. So you need to convince them, no, you really have nothing to worry about because I have all the abilities that I need. Don't worry about maybe the, the lack of experience in animation specifically. If you can tell the right story to that employer and alleviate their fears of, well, you're not a round peg that fits in a round hole. Therefore, there's no way you could ever do this. Right. You need to learn how to, how to better tell that story to give them that yeah. trust and that confidence. I, I think you could take that mentality and apply it to every professional relationship you have. Uh, Having an empathetic view of why is someone approaching you the way they are with the uh, perspective that they are, with the the mentalities that they have. It's um, everyone comes from a place, I believe, of wanting what's best, not just for themselves or for the production, but possibly for you. And maybe not hiring you at that moment might be a good idea. You know what I mean? You, it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I really do think that if the more you can put your head into someone else's, like you mentioned, the, in a way, the less personal you take decisions as well. Yep. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And again, um, uh, we, we could do an entire two hour discussion about this topic. Yeah. What I would like to go into next, I want to actually circle backwards and I want to cover one more thing before we dive deeper into this idea of trust and confidence yeah. and how to treat people. But the one other thing that I know comes up a lot, we've mm-hmm. talked so far about the process of being an editor in live action versus being an editor in animation. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit 
about what it looks like to be an assistant in live action that moves to being an assistant in animation because that's a very common question. Yeah. If I can't find any assistant work, well, animation's still hiring, but do I have any of the skills at all? So yeah. talk to me about that translation just a little bit. I think I always go towards soft skills again, but I, th- I think uh, it's you're wearing the same hat in the sense that, man, the assistant is one of the toughest roles, I think, in editorial because they are the selfless giver of that room where they're helping to set up their editor and helping to set up their production and keep things moving and keep it tidy and caring about the things that no one else will notice. But if they didn't, the thing would probably crumble and fall apart. And so between live action and animation, it's in, in, in that respect, it's the same job. But in terms of animation specifically, yeah, you're, you're, you're getting boards, you're getting uh, records, you're helping facilitate records, you're, you're owning everything that sets up your editor uh, with the best footing to then be able to do their job quickly and efficiently with any inside knowledge that, that they've gained that the editor might not be privy to or the editor might be too busy for. But something else that's nice about animation editing, at least in my experience, is that there is more opportunity for that assistant or that associate to cut, to help put that scene on its feet and um, lay sound effects, do more of that creative type work to help get it in a place where then the editor or the associate editor, whoever could step back and watch it play without having to do the nitty gritty of timing every board. So the the assistant can get that opportunity where they take what's given to them and make it the best that they can for then the editor to see it and be able to think more globally about the scene and not those minutia moments. So. So in the world of live action, that's true as well, but there's a very distinct caveat to that. That's if the editor is willing to provide the opportunity and provide the mentorship. What I'm curious about is in animation with the sheer volume of material, like I can only imagine you have thousands of JPEGs or TIFFs or whatever they are, but thousands of folders of images, sound effects, you're building things from scratch. Right. Having your assistant editor facilitating the creative process an absolute necessity and they all do it, or is it still kind of up to the editor and whether or not they want to open that door? I I mean – I can't speak for everyone. I know your answer. I already know what you're doing. I'm sure you're giving them all the opportunities in the world of being an amazing mentor. I'm just curious if that's still just you or if it really isn't a choice because of the volume of work and the schedules. I mean, I think for anyone, it's always a choice until the schedule demands otherwise. So yeah, it depends on personalities, this and that, but a production can get to a point where we need all hands on deck. Like we, we, we need, we need to start pumping this out. We need to start making this. So uh, here comes some opportunities for you because we're in a crunch. (laughs) Yeah. My personal take is I've always treated my assistants as it sounds stupid to say, but as equals with me, we're, you're an editor as well. You're just facilitating this production differently than I am. It's not that I've got the magic and you don't. It's just that um, we're at different points right now. And so giving them that love and respect to say like, Hey, if you have ideas or frustrations or confusions or anything, please let me know. Like I, you're, you're helping to tell the story as much as me. You're part of the team. You're part of what is making this film better. And if you're in this circle, it's because I trust you and value your voice. 
not just because you can organize things or whatever else, because of who you are as a person. And there is no expert storyteller. Obviously, some people are better at it, but man, that is the one thing that every story just takes being cracked. And the more input you can get, the better, you know? And some of the best ideas can come from anywhere. And so I just hate the mentality of um, treating anyone as lesser or less able just because of a title. Does that make sense? And obviously we all need to facilitate. Yes, it definitely makes sense. That's why you're here today. Please go on. I mean, we all need to facilitate, obviously, for the job that we were hired towards. And that's your first and foremost responsibility. This machine is running because of that thing you're doing and because of the thing I'm doing. So let's own those. And then on top of that, how can we be better? How can we make this better? How can we work better? How can we, whatever, how can we organize better? How can we treat this department better? How can we tell this story better, et cetera, et cetera. It should only be plussing from there. But yeah, full and wholeheartedly owning the job that you were meant to do because we, this, this machine will not keep moving unless you do it and, and feel proud of that. You know, it's not, you're not just some replaceable person. You're someone who's in the inner sanctuary of the edit room and you're special for being here. And the editor and the second assistant or the whoever, the post coordinator is eternally grateful that someone like you is able to do that job. So never see it as like, I only get to do whatever your job is. You're doing that one thing that other people aren't. And the, I don't know. There's so much gratitude that comes with that. I think I, I'm spiraling. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're doing the opposite of spiraling, my friend. You're, you're pontificating and you're sharing your brilliance. Yeah. Um, so the, there's a few things on there that I want to double and triple down yeah. on. First yeah. of all, you're going to get 150 resumes of all the assistant editors. They're like, wait, an editor wants to me to be a team member and be an equal collaborator? How does that work? I'm an extension of my computer right now. I organize no. data no, and I no. do visual effects lists. And no. who's this guy? I've always, I've said too, and I rub people the wrong way, but I feel like the assistant editor should be called the technical editor, where then the lead editor gets to be more the creative editor. But those are two sides of the same brain. And if, if one side is not working and the other side's not working and they are just, just as equally as important in order to tell that story. And if, if you have an unhealthy department, you're going to end up having more unhealthy decisions creatively. I really believe that. Yeah, I, I will, will build my teams exactly the same way. I love the idea that you say we work together and we collaborate. It's yeah. all about the best idea in the room. To me, that's a really important factor for the people that I will work with. Yeah. When I was young, just pay me and let me put something on a resume. Don't care. But I learned very quickly the quality of the people and the quality of the collaborative experience are worth way more than the money. So for me, I don't look at a script or look at the people that worked on something and say, I got to work on this. I say, this looks interesting. Let me meet the people and talk to them first and understand their process. And for me, the number one thing on the list, the number one criteria is if we don't all collectively agree that the best idea in the room wins, I'm out. I will not work for you. Yeah. So if like, and that was the first conversation I had with the guys on Cobra Kai. Uh, I said, I want to know what your process is. And I yeah. want to know if the janitor walks down the hall and my door's open and like, Hey guys, you'd be better with a up. <laughs> don't listen to him. He's the janitor. I don't want to work with you. But if you're the showrunner, creator of the show, making millions of dollars and you're like, damn, the janitor's right. That is better. Fix it. 
That's who I want to work with. Yeah. I want to work with guys that believe the best idea is the one is the one in the room. Doesn't matter who it comes from. Yeah. One thing that I want to add to this that I think is really important for people to hear and understand that are perhaps in the editor position working with assistants, if they want to get more out of their assistant, I actually go even a layer deeper. I love this idea that you say we work together and we're equals yeah. and I'm not above or below based on title. The way that I actually put it, and I truly believe it, it's not just me talking. I say that I work for you. Mm. The only way that this gets out of our little island here and gets out to the rest of the world is if I do my work on time, I get it to you in an organized fashion, and we're able to deliver it. Yeah. Otherwise, if we can't deliver it together as a team, then what's the point of what we're doing? So yeah. I work for you. You I tell me that. what you need to make your life easier, and I do that the same way with how I manage my team doing this. I, I mean, yeah. I've got Debbie on the call uh, right now, and she can attest to this if I go back to the, uh, the group, Debbie Germino. Did I not just say to you, I think two days ago, when it comes to this specific conversation about XYZ, you're my boss. I work for you. You tell me what you need so right. we can make this happen. Right. So maybe the, the larger vision and the direction first comes from me, and I say, here's the strategy. Yeah. But in order to execute it, I need you to be my boss and hold me accountable. Yeah. And as soon as you give somebody some modicum of control and they don't feel like they're just being told what they do, their performance skyrockets. The only, the only, I, I love that. And the only thing I'd add to that is I think the same has to be true with comfort. So the idea of being able to make a mistake or to be able to be tired or to and I'm not talking about like being sloppy, but I've always had the attitude that if a mistake happens and it's in the room, it doesn't leave our department, then the mistake never happened. You know what I mean? Like we'll let's all trust each other and care about each other enough to allow people to, to do dumb things or to make a mistake or to whatever. Yeah. To, so I, I think, yeah, having that room of, of trust and also feeling safe, I guess, that, that it's not every job you're doing at that moment will determine whether or not I, I trust you or whether or not you're still owning your position. I, I, I just, you know, letting people be people, but at least owning up to those mistakes, being, being honest about them and fixing them before it leaves us. Because if we can do that, there's not a problem. Yeah, I like, I really like this idea of if we make a mistake internally, it never happened and nobody knows about it. Right. My perspective on mistakes is I understand how vital it is for people to feel a sense of comfort and yeah. not always be freaked out about, oh my God, if I do this output wrong or I forget to put this on the slate or whatever, like they're yeah. going to be so mad at me. That's going to make you worse at your job, not better. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I, I'm prey to that too. Like I'm, I'm constantly like, and I've, I'm slowly growing out of it, but still, I'm like, did I, you know, I'll, I'll lay in bed thinking about, did I make sure to whatever, you know, worrying about something tiny about my edit that that's going to go out or, and yeah, that, that kind of dread or anxiety can just really zap your creative energy and also uh, makes you less bold later. And the, the ability to take creative chances is absolutely paramount to being not only good, but great at what you do. And that's ultimately yeah. what people hire you for, but they right. can't expect the boldness and the creativity without being willing to have bad ideas in addition to good yeah. ones. Yeah. And that applies to being an assistant. So I will always say, I never want you to be afraid of making a mistake or asking a stupid question. Just know that if you make a mistake, that's fine. That's a learning process. 
but we have to take the time to learn why that mistake happened so it doesn't happen again. Right. And be that's honest always a big that, uh, and, and be very honest about yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. And same with the the editor. Like um being being honest and open to their team. Not just, you know, shrugging it off, but but owning it. If you did something wrong or you were whatever, you were tired and short with someone or whatever it is, you know, like own that. Care care and love about your team enough to to be good enough to do that. All right. So now I've got a question that goes really to the heart of where we started. This yeah. idea of me saying, not even really jokingly, you're the nicest guy in this industry. I am hard pressed to pick anybody that's probably nicer. And I know that it's going to be a paradox. You're not going to be able to answer this question because you're too nice and you're too humble. So I'm going to phrase this question in such a way that you can't get out of it. Okay. If I were to ask some of your closest friends and colleagues in the industry, that have seen you make your rise from where you started to what you're doing now and will continue to rise. And I can't even imagine the stuff you'll accomplish in the next 10 years. What would they tell me about you that has been the key difference in the way that you manage people, you manage relationships and the way that you put yourself out into the world? What would they tell me? Cause you can't get out of this by being Mr. Humble. I, I will say that one of the, something that I take the most personally is that, almost all of my jobs that have been really crucial to me that have made, that have changed my life have, even when I've left them, asked me back either to support in some way or questions or to help, but that that relationship is still there and that we still care about each other. So that, that has always spoke a lot to me on not just how I left that opportunity, but on hopefully the way that I, treated that opportunity while I was there. I know that's in some ways dodging. <laughs> I, well, I knew you would dodge. So yeah. I, I knew that this was going to be an impossible question to get an answer yeah. to. Um, now I'm going to ask the opposite. Well, I, the, here's, here's one way I'll answer that. Sure. Yes. I have, I've been extremely fortunate and I, I've had the opportunity as I've had because right place, right time, knowing the right people. And um, I, I point that out just because I want those people to know that are working editing material that they don't like or that they don't care about or wasn't what they plan to do. It isn't because I'm necessarily a better editor than you. <laughs> there's, there's putting yourself in, in the right opportunities around the right people and the right locations and the right willingness to do you know, what it takes to get into those jobs that you really want. But I, I in no way believe that I have some magic ability that that kid who's editing weddings that doesn't want to be editing weddings doesn't. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I think, I think that's a really good way to put it is it's so easy when you're looking at people from below, they're up above you. They must have some amazing magical skills or some powers I'm not aware of. Right. And I need to get those powers. Yes. Yeah. And then once you get up to a certain level, you're like, you're all like me. Wait, what? Right. Exactly. You're, you're all insecure and you all think you're imposters and you all think right. you're going to get discovered as frauds. Like none right. of that ever changes. And you realize, oh, they just took different paths. They made different choices. And I yeah. think the what I'm so glad you didn't say was the L word. Maybe you've already listened to my show and you know how dangerous that can be. But you didn't say I've been so lucky. Because if oh. you had said you were lucky, I would have pummeled you, my friend. You <laughs> said I'm so fortunate. Yeah. Huge difference between the two. And you also didn't say, I just had all of these opportunities that happened in the right place at the right time. You said, I put myself in the right place at the right time. Yeah. 
So that is so key for people to understand. You have control over that. You don't have control over the timeline or when the opportunity strikes, but you have control over putting yourself in that position. Right. Yes. I I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it takes sacrifice, you know, being, being willing to sometimes choosing uh, something you really want to do versus security or being responsible and continuing to do what you need to do for your family, but then also working on something on the side in order to start chipping away at what you really want to do. And, you know, all of that emotional and mental and physical juggling in order to make that happen. So let me ask you this question now. It's going to be the exact polar opposite. We've talked about this idea of putting yourself in the right place at the right time, building this network, developing these soft skills for comfort, for trust. We talked some about the hard skills. Now I want to talk about how other people do it. Why do you think the assumption is that in order for me to get ahead in Hollywood, I need to step on people in order to climb the ladder. Why do you think that is such a prevailing notion that the only way for me to get to the top is to burn everybody along the way and nice guys finish last? I think that that perception is from people who aren't in the business. I think when you um, start to be a part of the business, you realize, like you said, that we're all, we're all just people. And we all have insecurities and we all have abilities and lack of abilities, but we're all working out those same muscles of how to be the best at our job that we can. And my experience has been that people hire who they want to work with, not just who's the best. If someone's the best and they're hard to work with, they're probably going to choose a second best. People, we live and breathe and eat (laughs) with the people we work with sometimes more than our own families. And so it really, from the top down is, are these people that I trust, that I want to be around, that I could joke with, that I could learn from, that I could grow with? And I think those soft, you know, none of those say is the best, is the fastest, whatever, in terms of skills, but are they the type of person that I I think I could be around during this process and that the film could be, or the, the TV show could be better because of their input. Maybe they're not the fastest cutter. Maybe they're not, you know, on and on, but do, do they own that? Are they a good person? Essentially. That's hard to put on a resume though. I would much rather just spend <laughs> all of my time developing my after effects skills right. yeah. and getting better at Avid and saying I can do script sync and X and Y and Z because that's it's easier for people to do. That's what, that, yeah. and it's all important, but yeah. that's, that's the only component that people focus on because yeah. it's less scary. It's just work, but it's not scary. But once you have yeah. to actually talk about human relationships, especially considering that all the people, not all, but most of the people that gravitate to our ends of the industry, yeah. we gravitate to the small dark rooms in solitary confinement for right. a reason, because we, we prefer it because we're yes. introverts, yeah. right? So it's harder yeah. to talk about comfort and trust and building relationships when you're, you're an introvert at heart. I would yeah. assume that you're probably no different. Right. Hundred percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like I'm very, I'm very introverted. Yeah. Yet you can go to a networking event and you can have wonderful, in-depth, warm conversations with people. Mm-hmm. But it's not like you're going around and handing out your business card and you're Mr. Sleazy Businessman. That's no. how people think they need to get ahead. Right. And that's not the way that it works. Well, I think there's two sides to that too. That every time I go to a social event, even if it's just friends or people I work with, it's an effort. It's something I have to talk myself into to finally go and do it. And then when I do, I'm fine, but I'll probably be, I'll probably duck out early 
<laughs> just because of that, that feeling it is, it's, it's a muscle that I'm continually, I keep mentioning muscles, but I do, I really feel like if these are all skills and abilities that you're constantly growing and taking care of and maintaining and they can fatigue, but yeah. And then I think that there is something to desperation. I think when someone can come off as really needing something, it can be a little harder for people to engage them because then there's more of a responsibility of like taking care of them or owning them instead of bringing them in. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I I talk about this idea of asking for something versus providing value all the time. I talked about this for three hours yesterday, just doing a a call with the the Editors Guild of 100 people saying the exact same thing. You have to reframe your mindset that it's not about what can I get from this person. It's what opportunity do I have to give to this person? Yes. Changes, yes. Completely changes your conversation in a networking perspective. It makes it that much easier. But I do have to say, you've made me and so many people so much better that you have to psych yourself up to go out in public to events. I'm so the same way. Like I've got an abacus <laughs> and a TI-85 yeah. calculating oh, yeah. all the reasons I shouldn't be doing it. Yep. Oh, fine. I'll go. Okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's not easy. There's nothing effortless about it. No. And, so and the, the good news about that, Yes, that's how everybody else feels. There's like maybe five people who don't, but you're in a room in this industry, especially in our ne- little neck of the woods. Everyone feels that way, everybody. And so, yeah, just know that you're not alone. There's not something weird about you. It, uh, it's not a disability. It's, it's just hard and it, it, it takes work. Yeah. It takes work and it takes skill, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a skill it's that you're skill. not born with. So something yeah. you have to learn and develop, but you're not born, like you said, with a disability, unable to network. You just don't do it often enough. And maybe you don't know the, the skills yeah. or the strategies. I think um, one of my mindsets too, with networking in general, and this is true with jobs, is um, instead of trying to make connections, I think you hit on this, instead of trying to find ways to make yourself better, what can I get out of this? Having a leech approach of, what can I get from being here? Instead, go with the opposite mentality of like, what friends can I make? What connections can I make? What, how can I help support someone else? And that for me alone, selfishly, takes some of that uncomfortable feeling away. Instead of that pressure of trying to, I don't, what, I don't know what, try to find a job at a networking event, it's, it's not going to happen. Instead, go trying to you know, actually connect with another human being who happens to be and the type of job that you want. Yep, I completely agree. Um, that's, a, that's obviously my approach as well. And I don't want people to think I'm going to go to the networking events and I'm going to come away bearing fruit. No, you go to the networking events and you plant the seed. Yes. That's it. You yep. got to wait for the seed to germinate and grow. Um, and I think that the, the whole approach, if I were to distill it down to one sentence, and I'm paraphrasing from a quote that's the email signature of a friend of mine's, but it just really sums up everything that I talk about, which is that the best way to make yourself better is to focus on making other people better first. Oh, that's nice. If you can just put all of your energy into making other people better, rising tide is going to lift all the boats real fast. Right, right. So the faster you can make other people better, the faster they're going to help make you better as well. Yeah. 
I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. So, and I, I just I just think that the attitude of um, you are better or that you're doing them some service, but they're coming to you and you're giving them, you know, it, it's, it's something really gross about that too that I don't I don't like. Again, we're people and we're at different points in the and where we are with where we want to be, but you matter and you're important and people care about you and your future's just as important as mine and you're you're just as valuable as I am. And just because I've maybe figured something out that you haven't or that person has and I haven't, none of that determines who we are as an individual or as a person. So if anyone has that approach of like looking down in terms of, you know, feeding the peasants, then I'm just not interested. Yeah. And hopefully you and I today, together, we can start an uprising of people <laughs> helping each other and being nice so we can all get where we want yeah, as opposed to yeah. stepping on each other to get where we want, which at we least seems to be the celebrate. Hollywood mentality, right? Yeah. Exactly. So anybody that, that needs to hear that they matter and they have a place in this world and they're valued, just go to Jesse's Facebook page and read the last 25 <laughs> entries. You're going to get a whole lot of doses of that medicine, my friend. <laughs> I, I appreciate you for all of that. Um, what I would like to do now is I want to turn it over to questions. So if you have specific questions for Jesse, go ahead and start sending them and there's a little bit of a delay. So one of the really specific questions, we don't have to go too deep into it, but going back to kind of the politics of right now, have there been any major disruptions like with with anything live action, basically just gone, just completely destroyed. There's almost no live action work. But other than some of the like, oh, darn it, I got to work from home right now. Is animation pretty much running the way that it was before? Uh, I mean, I, again, I can only speak to my specific situation, but yeah, I think it's interesting that it felt like we couldn't do these jobs from home, that that's ridiculous, that can never work, to now that we have to, oh yeah, it's suddenly incredibly possible. So yeah, I think there's more hoops to jump through, there's more opportunities for technical issues because you're, you're dealing with more tech, but, but no, I mean, we're, I'm working. I'm able to do it. Yeah. So I have at least three people in my community right now 
that I am expecting questions from very shortly, and you all know who you are, because you have Jesse Averna on the call with you. So you already know who you are. I'm going to give you guys maybe another minute or two. I'll, uh, I'll kill some time, but I'm expecting some questions from you guys. Um, while we're waiting for uh, hopefully questions from the three people that already know that I'm pointing them out and I don't even need to use names. Um, have you heard anything specifically as it regard, uh, in regards to animation and the timing of what's going on with live action? I'm sure you've seen all of the conflicting posts about the governor says that, you know, we're going to start shooting as soon as Monday. And then people say yeah. we're going to be shooting in September. And then, like, I do a podcast a week ago. There's yeah. not going to be cameras rolling until there's a vaccine. Right. So what what kind of, like, what scuttlebutt, for lack of a better word, do you hear in the animation world? Or are you just kind of insular where you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. We're just going to keep doing our thing. It's a little of both, I think. I think, um, as you know, anytime you're on a production, that's you're you're kind of in that bubble of only knowing what the production's doing and then hearing things. I try to stay up on, on the news, that, that, which I love to share on post chat, as you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's the, the word everyone keeps using. It's unprecedented. So we, we just don't know. I hate that people aren't able to work and can't afford their lives or can't afford their rent or can't afford their medicine or whatever the situation is. But I also hate, that the other option is to possibly put lives at risk. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is or if there's a good answer. And I feel like we're, I, I'm very proud to live in California because I feel like we're, uh, we have leadership who is really trying to balance that of trying to get people working again, but also caring and saying, you need to wear a mask. Like even if you're healthy, care about other people, you need a mask on. Because we, there's things we just don't know. So if I'm somebody and I'm looking at a couple of the questions that are coming in now, um, and I'm going to, I'll get, get to these directly, but I think uh, one thing that would be a follow-up to this. Let's say that I were talking to you right at the moment where you were at Sesame Street and you were considering going to animation. Maybe you didn't have any opportunities yet, but you saw everything that was going on in the world. So let's say that eight weeks ago is when you were right at the cusp. Yeah. Do you think for somebody else that is in live action, this is a good opportunity for them to say, I'm going to make the leap to animation. There was never a better time, even because I was going to do it anyway, versus, well, I need to find work right now, so I might as well go work in animation. How would you, how would you approach this? Well, I mean, both of those answers are true, <laughs> right? I think that there's sometimes you have to go where the work is, and maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised with how rewarding and wonderful animation can be. So if that's your motivation, you, you need a paycheck, I don't fault you for that. And for people who have been wanting to do it, if those are the jobs you're seeing come up, yeah, you should, without a doubt, take them or at least try to start, like we are talking about, build some of those skills and some of those things that make you the kind of person that they could trust to be able to take on an animation job. And I do think one of the tricky things for people is jumping like that, and this is true across the board, you, you might need to take a step down or do something else that's uncomfortable in order to get there. But if it's something you really have your heart set out for, think if you can, if you can afford it, think of the long game. You know, I, I always say it's better to be climbing up. It's better to be at the bottom of a ladder you want to climb than be halfway up the ladder you don't want to climb. So sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow, but you know, you're making cartoons. 
<laughs> Maybe it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I've now literally made a living talking people off of the proverbial ledge that are at the top of the rung of the ladder and they're looking right. down and saying, I desperately want to jump, but it's really high. Yeah. And I yeah. think I might hurt myself and I'm getting paid way too much money to be on the top right. rung, but right. I've never wanted to be on a ladder less in my life. Right. So I hear this all the time, but yeah. I agree. I would much rather be climbing the right ladder and be a few rungs lower than be at the top of the wrong one, which is a decision that I saw coming very early in my career. And I jumped from a six figure salary to making like 600 bucks a week flat yeah. because I wanted to be on the right ladder and not the wrong one. So I know yeah. that fear very yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and you have to, the, the, the counter side of that is be responsible to the people that you need to be responsible for too. Like don't, don't, don't make that decision lightly. If people need you, then even financially, like take care of your stuff first and figure out a way to do that. Just yep, want to I, add that. I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> That's something that I, I tell multiple people where they say, yeah, but I'm just doing it for the paycheck. And I say, there's no shame in that. If right. you need to do it for yeah. the paycheck, and that is legitimately your reason. Some people, it's an excuse. Oh, right. it's just for the paycheck. Well, is it really for the paycheck? Let's yeah. let's break down your financial needs, what that's paying, and they find out, oh, maybe that was just an excuse. But for mm. other people, yeah. it's very much not an excuse, and they need to eliminate the shame and forgive themselves for doing work because they need the money. There's nothing wrong with that no. at all. No. But like you said, you have to set yourself up to eventually be able to escape that endless cycle. Otherwise, you just get stuck in it forever, and it never, ever ends. Right, right, right. Um, so we've got a couple more specific questions here. One of them uh, says, if someone is thinking of adding animation to their skills, along with being an editor, is there a certain path that they would take? Is there anything different about this path specifically that we should be aware of? I don't think so. I mean, I think even the, the titles of the positions are the same between live action and animation. I think obviously uh, TV, there's usually more work than feature. Same thing with live action, you know, it's finding those, um, those entry points, but no, I don't, I think it's the same game. It's just a different medium essentially. So if I wanted to start from the bottom rung and I wanted to break in on the ground floor, what does that look like specifically in the animated world? It could be a, um, a post PA. It could be a second assistant editor, maybe an internship. If you still have that uh, ability, it could be, Maybe, yeah, just trying to network and meet people or get um, an interview or a tour or some way to, to, to poke your head in. Or maybe you find an opportunity of a friend that is trying to do animation and they'll give you the opportunity to cut that. I mean, I think any of those, anything that helps fill that bucket, I guess the way I think about it is that you're not, you're not too good for any of those jobs. If those help you, Open that door, you're not too good for it. If, if you want to be in that door. <laughs> I love it. If we yeah. could put that on a bumper sticker. You're never, <laughs> could, you're never too good for any job, yeah. right? You, right? You absorb that no matter what level you're at. That's going to move you ahead a lot quicker. Yes, yeah. Um, so another question that I have, and this is from somebody in my group. Mm -hmm. What I would like to know, uh, and I think she already knows uh, that I'm talking to her, would you prefer that I ask, or since you're on the call, would you like to ask and have this conversation? Give me a thumbs up if you want to do it. I won't. I will not feature you unless you give me a thumbs up. But you already know who you are because you're laughing. Thumbs yeah. up. Are, are you good for me to bring you out? <laughs> All right. So we are now joined by Deb Cohen. Yay, Deb. Hi. 
You've got Jesse Averna on the line. You guys already know each other and you have a really, really good question. I know you spent like 20 minutes like, I don't know, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know what to ask. You have a really good question and I want you to ask him the question. What's ironic is that my sugars are also a little weird right now, Jesse, so it's just very funny to me. Oh, yeah. yeah. The time when we met, my sugars crashed when I saw him. Ah. Very funny. Anyway, yeah. um, I was asking, like, you know, so first of all, we're all stuck, but, like, even in this pandemic, but also out of it, like, how to know uh, about putting yourself in the right place at the right time or, like, what kinds of things to look for because it's hard to know. You know what I mean? Like, I can be walking through it every day and you might not see something that you should be looking for that could be that kind of thing. It's like, what's weird. Cause being, especially like, you know, I'm working on Lucifer right now. That's a completely different place. Well, working on Lucifer, what kinds of things like, because of that mindset in that bubble that you're in, you may not see, you know what I mean? You know. Yeah. 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 You're asking, how do you put yourself in a position to best notice opportunities? Yeah, or like what kind, yes. And also like what kinds of things to look for, I guess. The other thing I want to add to this, not to interrupt, but I am going to interrupt. Um, This is something you mentioned in your question that you wrote to me, is you said, I want to be helpful to people and I want to put myself out there, but I don't know how to be helpful to people. And you're talking to the the industry expert at this. (laughs) So does that help clarify the question, Jesse? Um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or not well I, I think I think it's a it's a very valid question the reason I'm struggling is because it's such a personal thing I think the best thing that I would recommend is uh, what you're doing right now is being on social networks is uh, taking avenues least effort <laughs> of, of least resistance as well you know becoming friends with uh, people who are in types of positions you hope to move into online, either on Twitter or on Facebook or, or what you're doing here. But um, letting people know you as the wonderful person that you are and not just who you are on a resume. You're someone I've, I've recommended jobs to. We've talked about this. But, um, and that's because of getting to know you. And that was because you were proactive in doing that. So I don't, I don't think you're doing anything wrong i just think it's a continued effort with that and i know that's frustrating because it's like well how long do i have to wait and what about this and i'm sure they're hiring their friends why would they hire me so i i get that but i think it's i think it's honestly doing what you're doing being plugged in in the community being active and being someone that people can look to not just for those professional skills but also you know someone that they enjoy does that make sense yeah it totally does i just I guess also like I don't feel very helpful, even though like I try to be. So it was one of these things of like, I like being helpful. I like actually being able to not be in my own head and do what I can for anybody else. But I don't yeah. have. Well, um, so do you mean I was I was commenting on the opportunity bit of it, but in terms in terms of helping people, yeah. I th- I think that you at least for me you're incredibly positive and you're always sharing positive things online and you're going out of your way to check in on people and to care about people and to try to brighten people's stream online. And I think in a lot of ways, that's the most you can do. And there's certain people in your life who can only be loved the way that you can love them without sounding cheesy. But I I think um, owning that and like letting those people know that they're valued and that you care about them, even if you feel like 
it's not always reciprocated because people are dealing with this in their own ways. They're having their own battles. They're having their own insecurities and their own frustrations. And, but, but being the person on the side of instead of feeling like, how come no one ever reaches out to me and worries about me being on the other side of that and saying, you know what, I'm a, I don't care. I'm going to constantly be someone that lets them know that they're valuable to me and that I care about them. And I think that that not only helps them, but it helps you too. It does. and helps you feel connected. And, and so all that to say, I think you are helping Deb. And I think having that impulse to want to help already points that to the fact that you are a helper. So now I'm going to ask a question of Jesse on your behalf, Deb, because I've, I know you well, and I know uh, your goals and your aspirations, and I'm certainly not going to share anything too private, but I, I would assume you're okay with sharing the fact that you, it would be pretty cool if you worked in animation. Like you, you, you love the genre and you love fantasy and you love the, the feel good. I mean, you're, you're wearing the shirt. So I didn't think you were trying to hide it. The question, no, the, the, the question that I would want to ask on your behalf is as somebody that has plenty of ability that has, has a, a resume of experience at a very high level in television specifically, but may not have the, when we talked about ability versus experience, if you were to hand your resume to somebody in animation, they'd say, oh, you're a, you're a scripted TV editor. Well, we do animation, right? So what's the one step that Deb can take Jesse if she wants to make this transition to being an assistant in animation instead of live action TV? That is a good question. I think one of the things you can do is meeting and becoming friends with recruiters and building the relationship with those gatekeepers for them to know you and to know that about you that, Hey, look, I know what my resume says, but this is what I'm passionate about. And I feel like that these skills translate. So even though that seems obvious to you, sometimes it might take just saying that to someone for them to be like, Oh yeah, duh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't come to that conclusion, but, um, I think, yeah, it's finding those opportunities online when they come up, but then also uh, building relationships with people who their job is to find and recruit talent. Gotcha. And, that, and again, that might be, it might be stepping down in order oh, yeah. to do that. But, um, but I wholeheartedly believe that you, yeah, you have the skills and the ability to do it. It's just finding the right timing and also the person to say that, to see that as well. And my guess is that'll probably be television because of more opportunities. And there's a lot of houses, especially in LA. I mean, you have so many things. Bento Box and Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon and Disney Television Animation and DreamWorks, just on and on. So the work's there. It's just um, right, right timing, making those right relationships and not giving up. So now I have, I have a question. Yeah. I didn't even know that there were recruiters. If somebody said to me, if I want to break in as an assistant editor in live action, I would never give the advice to get to know recruiters because that doesn't yeah. even exist. Talk oh. to me a little bit more about that. That's new to me. Oh, um, go to LinkedIn <laughs> and search for the different um, companies that you're interested in and look up recruiter and they exist. Yeah. And then I think it's a really tough position for those people because it takes some of that ownership of, saying that this person is the type of person that we think could fit in our uh, culture, but then also, you know, bringing it to that team. So uh, I think it's a tough job, but I think uh, animation is lucky to have that. I actually didn't know that TV didn't have that just because my path, I've never, 
I haven't done like, hey, look at my resume. It's always been, like I said, this person knew that person and that person trusted me, so they passed me. I, I haven't really found jobs that way. So a follow-up to that that I just got is somebody wondering, does that just mean it's the same thing as connecting with a company's HR department? And my guess is it's not. I'm guessing no. a recruiter is a third-party company that's contracted by the studios, yes? I, I don't know. I don't know. But, I, but my experience with the few that I've done, they're people who are a part of that uh, studio. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a position. It's not a third party. But again, I can't speak to all of it. You know. So then did you get your job first from Sesame Street to Disney and now from Disney to, uh, well, you, you posted about this, right? So DreamWorks, that's, yeah. yeah. So you moved from Disney to DreamWorks. Right. Did both of those happen through recruiters or did no. those happen because of your relationships? Relationships. So it's not, it's not mandatory. It's not like you have to go through a gatekeeper. No. It's just there for the people that haven't built the relationship. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Got it. So if, yeah. I'm, if I'm going back to Deb, I'm going to keep picking on Deb. If I'm going back to Deb, and I want to make this transition. If I had to choose between getting to know recruiters or getting to know this other person in this one position at Disney, at Nickelodeon, at DreamWorks, wherever, would you say focus on the recruiter or focus directly on the editor or the other assistants or the post producer? Like who is the person that if I'm going to pick one, I need to put all of my attention towards? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think they're all important because I mean, as you know, editors hire other editors and assistants get hired because another editor recommended them. And so editors, I think are some of the most gracious people in terms of that in order in terms of helping uh, good people continue to get good jobs. But, but then, yeah, since there is another avenue and possibility, why not meet them and talk to them? So obviously I don't want you to pick just one person, Deb. I'm just trying to get an idea of how to prioritize. The simple right. answer is all of them. Yeah. Because you got all the time in the world, right? But I get what, what I was trying to understand, because I don't even know the answer to this, yeah. is, is it worthwhile to focus on people that aren't recruiters? And it sounds like it's no different than focusing on the people you would in live action, oh, yeah. where if you build yeah. the right relationship, you're going to get in the door regardless. Right, right. Got it. Okay, so that makes sense. So I have one more follow-up question that's very specific, and I knew, yeah. I knew eventually he was going to come out of the woodwork and ask this question. So talking about this idea of recruiters, who hires, who builds teams – the question, uh, actually, you know what? Um, this is from Maxton. Maxton, do you want to uh, ask this question yourself? Yes? All right. So, Maxton, introduce yourself very briefly, what it is you do, and hey, then uh, ask Jesse your question. Hey, Jesse, thanks for the talk. It's really awesome. I'm a composer. I've worked in animation for most of my projects. Um, uh, but what I'm wondering is about, um, for recruiters, do they use recruiters to hire audio post music as well? Yeah. Uh, I honestly don't know. Yeah. I wish I could. My impulse, same thing with Deb's question, is I want to just give you an answer. And I feel like I'm being a little disingenuous by doing that because I don't, I don't know. Again, I think that choose all paths. <laughs> you know what I mean? Find all the people who could help make those decisions in terms of hiring. But um, I would be, I'd be lying to you if I told you any answer there. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. No, no worries. Thank you. My answer probably would have been relatively similar where I would say, I don't know, but it never hurts to just try everybody. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It, it, the, what, what I know for a fact is, and I talked about this extensively in the, the uh, workshop that I did for the Editors Guild yesterday. One person had specifically said, do you think it's just, it's better for me to wait for the opportunity or should I just really reach out to the person? And I'm like, 
do you really not already know the answer to this? Like it's, it's gotta be rhetorical, right? The right. one thing I can guarantee is that sitting around and waiting is going to yield you zero results. Right. Maybe right. something will come along eventually. Right. You have to put yourself out there, period. Yeah. So my assumption would be I've never worked in animation. I did cut one animatic when I was an assistant editor when I was nice. 22 years old. So I can yeah. speak as an expert, but in having never been an animator. Yeah, exactly. 2002. Yeah. Right. Um, so having never worked in animation, my guess is it's probably the same as just about anything else, where if you're a director and you have a really good relationship with a composer and you love that composer, you're going to bring him in the room and say, I'd love for him to do the music for my movie. And that composer is going to have a team and going to have assistance and, I'm guessing it's probably not terribly different in animation. I don't know if right. you want to disagree with that or not. I, I, I'm going to say something cheesy again, because I I'm, I'm just love throwing cheese all over all this. <laughs> but I, I think if, if there's people who have jobs that are in companies or mediums that you're interested in, they're probably people that you want to know. Like they could be good. They could be friends. They could be someone interesting to you because you share that same pool in that same draw to that same thing. Does that make sense? So I think uh, maybe try and network, not just to, to get jobs, to get work, but to meet someone or to, to develop a relationship or a mentorship or uh, something other than just uh, a specific opportunity for yourself. Like you mentioned before, Zach, planting seeds. And sometimes those friendships that you have, someone that you've been friends with whatever for years will come around and they say, I have this pilot I can't cut or I can't do music for. And I thought of you, would you, you know, those things come back around, but, but I would just encourage you to get to know people and pursue people, not just again, because of the opportunity for yourself, but to make a relationship, to make a connection. And then if the byproduct of that is an opportunity for you, then all the better. I, I, it's, we're saying the same thing, but just a, a mind shift a bit, because these are all people you're going to hopefully work with uh, one day and are people that will hopefully support you and help you one day. I don't know. See, see it as that, as what, as a friend, a friendship that could blossom from that. Very cool. Thank you. Cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I brought you on for the cheese. I didn't bring you on to reduce the amount of cheese. I brought yeah. you to, to yeah. uh, exacerbate it because that's, that's your thing. That's what you're all about. And I, of course, say that in the best possible way. That's why I'm just, I'm Zach, you're a perfect example. If like, I only decided to have a friendship with you because I thought you could get me a job or better my, I, I don't know. It just, I would have missed an opportunity to meet a, an amazing person. And how stupid a life decision would that have been? I, I, I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's no way that I can top that. So that's, uh, I appreciate you saying that about me personally, but uh, saying everything else about relationship building and just this, this whole process and demystifying this myth that I kind of have to be an ass to get ahead and I need to step on people because it's Hollywood and that's the way that it is. Like you're yeah. the perfect example. You can be the nicest person in the world and still make it to the top. And instead of pulling people down, you can lift people up and grab them right. and bring them with you. And that'll never hurt important. you. Never. Helping, helping people and helping and raising them up doesn't put you at some risk or make your job vulnerable. I just want to throw that out there. Yep. You, don't, you, you don't have to hold on, this is mine. And if that'll somehow make you safer, no way. Like we should be cheering for each other and celebrating each other and happy for each other and helping each other. And, and, hope, and ultimately that only helps you, not just career-wise, but as your own mental health. <laughs> I would have said that on March 12th. 
And now two months later, given everything that's going on, we just need to multiply that by about a hundred given yes. the, the circumstances that we are yeah. all in. Right. Um, so that having been said, you and I are, uh, are both editors for a living and our timing sucks because we've gone over time. We, we need to edit ourselves. <laughs> we're, we're both very- We gotta take two minutes out of this. We, we gotta take two minutes out. We gotta find it somewhere. Don't worry, my, my <laughs> podcast editor will fix that for us and add his little audio filters and do his magic. Nice. He's the magician. I don't know how he does what he does. But it has been such a pleasure. It's been so worth the wait. Because when I say that we've literally been trying to make this happen for years, I'm not being facetious. We've been trying to make this happen for years, and it only took a global pandemic to make it happen. So, (laughs) and and I will, I I will be vulnerable and say that one of the reasons it hasn't is because of what I talked about before is um, social anxiety around it. Like saying something that will, I don't know, just you know that 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 little voice in your head of like, oh, do I really want to do that and open myself up to whatever it is. So just so you know, you're not the only one, if you deal with that, dealing with that, like it's, um, it's again, a muscle always being worked out. So Zach, thank you for having me do this. You're more than welcome. I, I know that I promised you one point that I would push you outside your comfort zone just enough to get you here. Little did you know it would be during a pandemic and you'd be on <laughs> Facebook Live, right? <laughs> At least I'm um, going to be home with my troopers. So. Yeah, exactly. You've got, yeah. you've got protection, so you're good. Right. Um, so that having been said, uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody that's out there on Facebook right now that's been sharing your insights, that's been sending your questions. Really, really appreciate that. I want to let everybody out there know that, as Jesse says, you guys matter. Yes. There's a reason that we're all here and we can all help each other get where we want to get, even during a global pandemic. Yes. 100%. So that having been said, I want to thank everybody. I hope you have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And I bid everybody at uh, Facebook Live adieu. So uh, have a good one. Bye. Thank you, guys. See you on Post Chat. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.